0: Welcome to the From the STEM Up podcast. My name is Adriana, and here we spark youth connections in STEM fields. Welcome and thanks for tuning in to our fourth podcast episode for From the STEM Up. I am very excited to foster a community of youth in STEM, and I hope you are too. Today, we have a very special guest who is only 14 years old and has accomplished so much. Hey, Rishi, how are you?
1: Uh, I'm doing pretty good, thank you. Uh, it's, it's awesome to be here.
0: Yeah, I'm very excited to have you on this podcast today. Uh, do you want to introduce yourself?
1: Yeah, so uh, as you already said, I'm 14 years old. I'm a freshman in uh, high school in Brampton, I really, really like Formula One. I'm not too sure if I want to reveal my opinions about some of the teams. But yeah, I play badminton at the regional and provincial level. And I really, really love hackathons.
0: That's amazing. You can even elaborate a little bit on Formula One if you want to.
1: Yeah, so I I have a kind of love-hate relationship with the sport right now. It's always been seen as this super, super elite sport, right? Because you're always dealing with like hundreds of millions of dollars per team. And like, if you don't already know, um, the sport up until like 2014, it was exactly what you think it is, right? Like a pretty boring game of just cars going around tracks. But after 2014, most of the rules and regulations got shifted around a lot. And yeah, like everything got really jumbled up. A lot of the teams had to quit. And then now it's with the virus and everything, it's gotten a little bit stagnant. So, yeah, I'm just looking forward to how it's going to go in 2021 and in the future.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it's also kind of sad to hear that the Olympics were also canceled. That's unfortunate, but we're really hopeful for 2021 for all those sports events. What does STEM mean to you?
1: So, in the very beginning, um, I always used to think of STEM as like a super theoretical thing, right? Science, technology, engineering, and math. Everybody knows it at this point, right? It's synonymous with like being a good university student. So, I always used to think of it as something that like only the super privileged people could do and something that you know wasn't really applicable to everyday life it was purely something that existed in education right and it was just a buzzword but as i started getting involved more and more in like the developer community i would always start introducing myself as a stem major right and the glint that i saw in people's eyes whenever i i said that it meant so much to me right in that instant, you know that you found a friend. I've never seen this in any other industry because in the same sense that STEM is so broad, it's also still a really niche industry, right? You always have all these people that are willing to change the world. And if you can find a community to do that, then that's what we look forward to the most.
0: Yeah, STEM definitely fosters community. And I really agree with you in that aspect. I know you are very interested in the fields of tech and math. And Can you explain your journey into developing these passions and how they have shaped you?
1: So I'm a developer primarily, so I don't deal a lot with biology and some of the more stereotypical science stuff. But um, my journey into that has uh, it's been a little bit weird. So it started when I was in grade three, I believe. So I was at a, a family get together right? And I was incredibly bored. Like none of my friends were there. And yeah, it was just a bunch of adults talking. But in the corner of the house, I saw one of the adults. Um, like he wasn't talking to anybody else, but he was doing something on his laptop. So I went up to him and I asked, hey, what are you doing? Right? Like not in those words exactly, because I was a nervous eight-year-old. But um, he just showed me the, the ropes of what he was doing. And as it turned out, that was one of my first experiences that I ever had programming we set up like a really basic website for me. I forget the domain of it, but I'm sure it still exists somewhere. But yeah, after that, things just started spiraling out, right? Uh, I went from like this nervous eight-year-old who was scared of doing anything big to who I am right now. And soon after that very first experience, I started teaching others how to program. And then that led to... A bunch of contributions in the open source world and me getting friends from you know all over the world in nearly every single time zone.
0: Yeah and uh, we'll definitely talk about open source after the break and that it, seems like a very interesting story of yours. I know you were greatly involved with Hack Club and you have recently started the Canada branch. What got you interested in this club and why do you think it is an organization worth being part of?
1: So Hack Club um it's Was started in 2014 by a dude named Zach Lada. And this guy, he dropped out when he was 16, I believe, out of a high school in Los Angeles. Purely because, you know, he didn't think that uh, high school was teaching us enough application stuff, right? And to be honest, I have to agree. Um, Shame, yeah. (laughs)
0: Yeah,
1: like... A lot of stuff that we learn in school, curriculums like the IB and stuff, they're helping a little bit with that. But a lot of the stuff that we focus on doesn't really apply to real life. Unless you're going into a very, very specific math field, you're never going to use, you know, like imaginary numbers or something uh, in like your day-to-day work, right? You're never going to have to calculate the dot product if you're going into, I don't know, literature. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So Hack Club was founded with the vision that uh, making is a lot better than saying something. Right. Exactly. Um, it's, it started out as just a nationwide network of high school coding clubs. But as we started progressing after like that first small like big bang, we've grown into a community of over 9,000. We're doing a lot of really, really cool stuff. Um, nice. And yeah, it's we have locations all over the world and I highly, highly recommend it. So Hot Club Canada, it's like we just started it and I'm not too sure if I can go into some of the logistical details just yet. but. In a nutshell, it's a new way to hack club. So previously in hack club US and and other places, every single club was individually run, right? They all have their own forms of governance and they're all really, really distinct. Mm -hmm. Now in Canada, like we're always really open to trying new things. That's how poutine came out. Um, (laughs) But... Yeah, so Hack Club Canada, it's a new way to run an organization for Hack Club, right? In other areas like Hack Club US, every club has been individually governed. Nobody responds to the whims of other clubs and that can work in some areas. But from our own research, Canada is not benefiting from that at all right? One of the major problems with high school coding clubs in our country specifically is that people are dropping out because there just isn't that much interest. But mm-hmm. the sad thing is like as hack clubbers, we know that there is that interest. So yeah. our goal this year with Hack Club Canada is to show all of these people that you're not the only one who's interested in this type of program, right? People from all over the country are doing the exact same thing as you're doing. And if we can figure out a way to connect all of these clubs, then I think we're good to go. And yeah, that's that's a philosophy that we're taking with this organization.
0: Yeah. And I definitely agree with the approach that you're taking for Hack Club Canada and the issues that you pinpointed. And I love how you're steering in a different direction. Um, and I think that's a direction that a lot of organizations should take. And I know you guys are going to do a lot of interesting initiatives. So where do you see Hack Club Canada in future like what are you guys planning could you give us like a sneak peek
1: yeah sure so um one of the big things that we're working on right now is this idea of like a centralized command center so in the beginning of the coronavirus outbreak right we all thought that, you know, Hack Club would go to pieces because it's primarily a network of high school coding clubs, right? We function best in person. But mm. soon after, a bunch of community members started doing something called the COVID command centers, right? Where people from all over the world would tune in to this one Zoom call hosted by uh, by community members to learn a little bit about something new. It was just a series of workshops. And I, I don't know about the opinions of other people, but I thought that those little get togethers, they were magical. It was a feeling i don't think i've ever had before when i saw people that were my age doing things that you know i always thought were super unfathomable right prior to prior to coronavirus i didn't even know that you know i could do machine learning uh in like a high level language and yet here we are and we're we're starting to bring that to this sort of organization because As I said before, the primary goal is to be as connected as possible. So right now we're focusing on building a platform for every single Canadian hack club, right? Uh, We're going to host competitions on there based off of the amount of projects that your club can ship. Essentially, uh, it's just a way for every hack club to stay connected with each other. So there's like, you're going to be able to ship things based off of your own club's achievements. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to be able to get grants from a whole array of different companies. Right now, Hack Club Canada is still in the in like the planning process, right? Mm-hmm. But Hack Club as an international organization has blossomed so much from its initial stages of growth. And I don't know, I feel like Hack Club Canada can really benefit a lot of people.
0: Yeah, same. Mm-hmm. Um, I have really high hopes for it. I also just joined the Hack Club Slack because yes. I, I also really like project-based learning because I feel like that, as you said, helps me learn code better. And so I love participating in hackathons. And then there's this section on the Hack Club website where they feature a lot of hackathons, which I really appreciate. And they also have a bunch of cool programs on there. So I really recommend you guys to check it out. I'll link it in the bio right on this episode, so please check it out. It's a great opportunity during this quarantine. So my next question for you is, I know you've been participating and doing your own personal projects in the tech and math field. What are your future career goals?
1: Yeah, so... That is a, it's a pretty big question, but um, I feel like I've narrowed it down a a little bit, at least for now. Participating in organizations like Hack Club and leading all of these awesome movements, it's it's a completely separate feeling than anything that I've ever gotten from pretty much any other internship that I've done, right? Mm -hmm. And Contributing to to like something that I know is bigger than me—that is something that I really, really want to go for uh, in my adult life. So further on in my career, um, I'd love to transition to being a fully open source developer. As you said before, we'll talk a little bit about that later. But you know, if if that doesn't pan out, I still want to be uh, some form of a software architect or a software engineer. So um, working for companies like GitHub and GitLab, as long as I know that. You know, I'm doing something that will not just benefit me or a small amount of people, but that I know will will benefit people on a national or international level. That's that's what I hope to achieve in my career.
0: Yeah, I definitely see you achieving things uh, at a big scale because you've already started some amazing achievements and you have so much time to go and you're only 14, which is pretty, pretty sweet. I'm really inspired by your work and I'm excited to see what you achieve in the future. Thank
1: you. I mean, to be honest, I can't really say that it was all me, right? Like living in Canada, I know that I have it um, a lot better than than a lot of people. And that's kind of what we're trying to solve with a lot of these bigger organizations, right? Like Mm -hmm. I've always grown up being allowed to get whatever I want. Software engineering itself is a very privileged field, right? Mm -hmm. But like a lot of the work that we're doing focuses on getting items and software and hardware to the people that really need it, right? Right now we're running a program at Hack Club called Summer of Making essentially we've partnered with a bunch of different organizations like github and adafruit things like that yeah 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 to uh get $100 grants or $150 grants for hardware to people all over the world and i highly highly recommend it
0: yeah definitely um that's just one of the benefits you can get if you join the Hack club slack i got that email i think two days ago so yeah if you guys are listening to this around june 2020 i definitely recommend joining the slack and participating that if you want to pursue do a hardware project this summer. All right, with that, I'm going to hop into the break. Hey guys, I found this really great website called dweebsglobal.org. So that is d-w-e-e-b-s global.org. It's an all-volunteer international movement that offers free mentorship and everything from career advice to mental health. So for example, I needed advice on how to make a resume, I could reach out to the mentors on the platform for free and they would look over my resume before maybe a job interview or a volunteer position. So I definitely recommend checking them out. Yo, it's Adriana popping in for the break. (laughs) Do you like this podcast and wanna be part of an episode? Are you 18 and under and have something cool to share about STEM? we'll make sure to follow at sum Up podcast which is at s t e m p o d a s t i almost didn't know how to spell podcast there but make sure to follow our instagram and then sign up in the link in bio and we'll just roll from there now let's move on to the next part of the episode All right. I hope you guys enjoyed that break. For this next segment, I wanted to switch gears and discuss open source software. Um, I know you're really interested in that. Could you give our listeners a brief rundown of what open source software is and its advantages?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about the computers that we're running this on right now. Um, I'm assuming you either have a Windows device or a Mac.
0: Yeah, I have a Windows laptop open.
1: Yeah. So... All of this tech, they're both controlled by like, these huge corporations, right? Microsoft and Apple, respectively. And we, as the end consumers, don't really know what we're getting, right? There's no way to check you know, how, how the code works, exactly how you would improve it. All of that is concealed through proprietary licenses, right? Open source software is the complete opposite of that. We always call operating systems like this, like Windows and Mac, closed source, because they're controlled by one centralized source, right? in this case, Microsoft and Apple. But let's talk about Linux a little bit. It's a pretty big name. It's definitely not as big as Windows or Apple, but Linux was sort of a paradigm shift in the computing industry. So in the late 1990s, um, that's when open source really started blossoming. I remember Microsoft, they actually called it un-American because it was growing so fast, because, you know, people want free things and open source gives you that. But More often than not, people won't take an open source product because it's free they'll take it because they know that it is better than whatever they'll get from a proprietary company open source software is exactly what it sounds like every single line of code every bit that runs on your system is completely free to look at and free to download in my case i'm running uh, i'm running linux and i've done a whole bunch of customizations on it i wouldn't have been able to do that on a mac or windows device and so whenever i'm downloading a piece of open source software i know that because people have collaborated on it for years maybe maybe even decades, I know that I'm getting the best of the best. Open source software isn't about getting one piece of software from one person or one company. It's about getting the best piece of software from people with a wide variety of portfolios, right? Um, In some cases, really big frameworks like react, They've been worked on for years from people from all over the world. Right now, it's being controlled by Facebook, but it is an open source software. And yeah.
0: Would you recommend Linux over Microsoft and Mac?
1: Um, <laughs> I, I can't really give um, an unbiased opinion on that, right? I've been using <laughs> Linux for... For a fairly long time now and i've i really really liked it but yeah i wouldn't say that it's it's truly better in every respect for windows and mac right if you just want to run games on your laptop then yeah go for windows if you really want to do creative design then go for mac and you know if you want to do something in between or you just really really want to make your life a little bit better and smoother then i'd pick linux
0: Awesome. Is there like, I know you can buy Windows computers and Mac computers. Are there computers specific to Linux?
1: Yep. So, uh, Linux, I know that it is an open source product, but that's not to say that everything about it is open source, right? People have definitely um, capitalized on that. Have you ever heard of the Raspberry Pi? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, for people that don't know, um, it's a little tiny computer about the size of your credit card. That you can get for about 100 bucks or cheaper, depending on where you get it. But the original makers of that, um, Raspbian, the operating system that it runs on, is a distribution of Linux and um, like a bunch of different computers that are meant primarily for machine learning or development work, they can come preloaded with Linux or some distribution of it.
0: Yeah, and so I know that you're very involved in open source code. When did you first start getting interested in contributing to open source code and what are your proudest open source projects to date?
1: Yeah, so Hacklog, that's probably one of the, the biggest things that I've done so far. It's been a community effort. But aside from that, I'd say that my work at Exorcism, it's not what it sounds like. Um, I'd I'd say that working at that organization has probably been my second proudest thing. Um, For those that don't know, Exorcism is a fundamentally different programming education website. We don't do any marketing aside from word of mouth. And we have, I believe, a little bit over half a million users so far. And instead of focusing on, you know, the like the really basic computer science principles, we focus on the language differences, right? So a language like JavaScript, right? That is really, really different from something like C or C++. And instead of focusing on training you on that one specific language, we draw meaningful comparisons between all of them to talk about exactly why some parts of the language are different from others and why the original creators thought of it that way and and what makes it a little bit better. So, So working at Exorcism, I'm responsible for leading the JavaScript track right now. That's my primary development language, but I'm branching out a little bit now. So I've done work as a mentor, and now I'm designing coursework for the the next generation of it. And it's going pretty well so far.
0: Nice. So you got your hands filled for the summer, and I bet you're going to pursue even more open source projects in the future.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you betcha. Um, Fun fact, I actually started doing open source work a little bit later in my life. So uh, I started programming when I was eight, but I only started doing like real open source work when I was, I think, 13 or, or 12. A little bit after October in 2018, that's when the Hacktoberfest challenge, like that's when I really started getting interested in it. For those that don't know, Hacktoberfest is a yearly competition run by um, one of the biggest software engineering companies in the world, GitHub. Essentially, they challenge you to uh, make four contributions, four meaningful contributions, I should say to open source repositories from anywhere that you want. So uh, in my case, I contributed to Free Code Camp, Exorcism, and a bunch of other little libraries. But yeah, that's where it all began.
0: Yeah, so I'll definitely link Hacktoberfest uh, website in the bio as well for those of you that are interested. My final question for you today is, what advice would you give to our listeners who want to start coding and maybe even open source if they already dabble with coding, but don't really know where to start?
1: So I can't speak for everybody, but I feel like the thing that's had the biggest impact on me is, you know, just going for it, right? A lot of people um, that I know that I've, I've actually trained to uh, to start programming, they always get caught up in the, in the little details, right? Like setting up a compiler or a development environment. And that's the main thing that's preventing them from actually starting to learn, right? So my advice to you is just pick a language, doesn't matter which one, just pick one that you think you might like and that you're willing to stick with, find a little bit of a course that you can go for and keep a structured regimen, right? I don't mean um like setting aside two hours of coding per day, but think about some project ideas that you might want to do. And once you do them, take a look at your code, figure out what mistakes might happen later on so that you can get into the production development mindset and then try and fix them. Right. And once you feel like you've completely mastered that language which by the way, nobody ever does. Languages are completely changed like every few years, or at least JavaScript is. And once you feel like you've achieved like some degree of mastery and fluency, then I strongly advise you to start teaching others, right? That's one of the best ways to start giving back to the community. And at least in my experience, it's, one of the most fulfilling so teaching others really lets you know exactly your skill set right i forget who this quote was by but i remember talking about it in in one of my presentations you never really know how much you know until you can teach it simply Mm -hmm. so just give it a go try out uh, some different teaching styles right figure out who wants to learn how to code maybe even start your own hack club you know yeah So once you're done with all of that, then I highly recommend going for some internships, you know, finding positions at open source organizations. And yeah.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with that. There is a very big coding community. Find people that can mentor you. And then later on, as you said, you can even mentor them. And along the way, you learn even more about what you like and what you don't like. And just go get her get started. That's it. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Like another tip, just don't be afraid to fail. Programming, it, it's not a straightforward path. A lot of people go into it thinking like, okay, I'm going to learn this by this date. I'm going to go and and make this project, you know, by the end of summer, but it rarely ever turns out like that, right? You'll hit some incredibly massive road bumps along the way, but those road bumps are the ones that separate you know, the real people who want to learn how to code from those that are just doing it for, you know, the money. And I'd say if you ever feel like you're slipping away from it, just take a minute, recollect your thoughts, and then get right back at it.
0: Yeah, and if anything, coding really taught me how to fail because... I mean, there's a big red message every time you make like one (laughs) semicolon error. Um, And then over time, you kind of just get used to it and um, you've learned that that's part of the process and debugging or fixing your errors is also a really good asset to have and that you'll develop over time.
1: Yep, I highly, I highly agree.
0: All right. Thank you so much, Rishi. Do you have anything more to add?
1: Yeah uh for all of your viewers in canada feel free to uh to start a new hack club in your high school um we're accepting applications right now for the initial batch of Hack club canada programs and yeah we'd love to have you the only requirement is that you are a motivated teenager who you know really has an idea and also apply for Hack club summer of making
0: definitely yeah and i encourage you guys to reach out to rishi i have all his socials linked in the bio Make sure to give his personal profile and Hacklub a follow on their Instagram. Also, make sure to check out hacklub.com as well as their Slack to become part of the hacker community. will we'll also make sure to follow him on GitHub at Rishi Osor and <laughs> his website, rishi.js.org. As well, please connect with him on LinkedIn at HeyRishi. And see you guys next week. And remember to always ask questions and stay curious.